Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 78. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com with my co-host Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. This is an election special that we recorded with Zach Mayer on the 21st of November. There are some strong views and strong language in this episode, so user discretion is advised. At the end of the show, we cover Ask Tim Price questions. We're always happy to hear from you if you have more, so please drop us a line. Enjoy the show. Oh, that sounds like that sounds like a Zach. Yeah, yeah, you got the right number, unfortunately. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Who's the panda? That's a uh, Ting Ting. All right. Ting Ting is basically our strategic, our strategy consultant. She's she's like our investment committee strategy consultant, political advisor. She's a, she's a spad. Uh, she's a bit of everything, really. Uh, I, I understand the pandas are not very good on fertility, so I suppose you don't ask her for that type of advice. I also, I the idea of of trans species. How how very dare you? Well, they don't know, but they don't even they don't even do it with themselves. So I don't think. No, can... you're right. You're right. They are they are the most monastic of 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 of, of, of thick flora and fauna. Where but that have... just adds to their appeal, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yes, there we are. Yes. Where have we gone um... with this? We haven't even started yet. And I, it's like, <laughs> I think we're going to be wondering what this is all about. I certainly am. <laughs> Did you get that down? That was quite. That was gold. Yeah, I've got I'm, it, yeah. I'm, re- I'm recording. I think Paul's live, so it's all, it's all, it's all there. That was supposed to be like pre, you know, like off, uh, off camera. Uh, there's nothing. It's like nothing off green, camera with us. Green, green room chat. Exactly. Green room, green room bants. Everybody yeah. wants as much Zach as they can get, including the panda. Including the panda. So Zach, how have you been? I've been all right. It's been a very, it's been a very torturous uh, few months. Uh, my agony was ended, I think, on the 27th of October when it was uh, clear that uh, I would win my um, my bet, which obviously I reduced in size. Because... No, 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 that you don't need to reduce anything. Um, I mean, I know that shri- shrinkflation is is rampant in the retail community, but as far as I'm concerned, because uh, I I, I, ha- I remember it. Uh, this is just to show how unreliable memory is. I remember it as basically being a you know a, a, a nice meal. So the cost of a nice meal, but I, but I don't know. I think Paul is the independent arbiter, so over to Paul. A nice meal in, in Zone One is uh, is a you know is, is quite a lot of money actually. That's well, we didn't specify what the meal of what origin because, for example, there's a German Donner kebab uh, franchise. <laughs> down, German. Down, is, down it, the is, it well is it well engineered? Oh, a Forsprung Dork Technik. This place it, it's rocking and rolling. But oh. there's, a, there's a German Donner kebab franchise in, in Camden, which is. I mean, I, I get their stuff through delivery, and it's absolutely delicious. What's the name of it, and why aren't they? It's it's what, called we... German Donner Kebab. Oh right, okay. <laughs> that is so German, isn't it, to have a name like that? Exactly. I mean, you can't fault the Germans for you know taking everything bloody literally. I mean, Deutsche Bank, yeah, uh, yeah. German Bank. German it's like Bank, yeah. it's it's like if you've seen the film Repo Man, and all the products are just like the names of products. So the cans of beer are just labelled beer. Oh, wow. And if if they had if they had you know the boxes of food they just they'd be called food and if they were packets of crisps they'd just say crisps on them. <laughs> it's a great that's a great business model. We could set up a new company you know just called company. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love this. You everything is just made with that you know TV, yeah. uh, radio, whatever you have. <laughs> that said, you've just reminded me. 
we we lost our we lost our our, our family friendly status for the podcast, didn't we, Paul? So well, we, we it's, know- it's on a it's actually on a podcast basis, so we can keep it clean if we if we. Well, you know. not on this one because the one right. I'm going to cite is there was right. a website called fuckedcompany.com. Oh, right. okay. That's it. Yeah, back so. in back in 1990, so that's lost it for this one. Yeah. Um, uh, do, do, do either of you re- four minutes? <laughs> <laughs> it's a new record. Uh, the, the four minute fuck. Um, the, do either of you remember? Do either of you remember this uh, this website? Do you ever recall it? I, I think I remember you mentioning it, but no, so the, the no. premise the premise behind fuckedcompany.com was that it was a dot com Deadpool. So you would nominate mm. companies. This is so. This is back in you know ninety nine sort of you know dot com bubble version one. Um, you'd nominate companies, and then the more spectacularly they flamed out, the with the greatest amount of human misery and loss of wealth incorporated with that, the more points you got. So you'd nominate a company like, say, you know, Boo.com or whatever, and then then it, then it would crash, and then you'd get more points than than some other business that failed that wasn't as high profile. Anyway, so that's how it started, and then it developed kind of this like nefarious second life as a sort of bulletin board chat room, not not dissimilar to a sort of early Twitter. And people would just talk talk nonsense all day about basically about the dot com economy, and it was it, for, for the sort of slightly dispassionate observer like myself, it was just great, great fun. And I came across all, ama- amazing amounts of great business insight. So nearly everybody posted using a pseudonym, so nobody was doing it doing it in their real name. And there was one legendary post, legendary as far as I was concerned, anyway, from Stanford MBA, and Stanford MBA tweeted, oh, was it posted on uh, once. We have the we have just discovered the best business model. We are going to lose money on every sale, but we'll make up for it in volume. Now I'd never heard, I'd never heard that before. I've heard you say it before, and, but I love it. And, and it's great, isn't it? And yeah. and and now kind of like dot com bubble two point is taking it almost precisely literally. So I think Amazon was somewhere along those lines. I mean, there, there were there have been some successful companies that have gone along that. Uh, What's sort of the uh, the land grab, you know, the land yeah. grab type thing, you know? Um, so, uh, but I think obviously WeWork is the is the company which is uh, well. This is the, you, you, just, the you, you just child. Took, you just took the words right out of my mouth because you know it's something I've I've popped into the commentary this week, which I'll be putting on uh, up online in a little in a little while. And it's you know that say what you like about capitalism, which I'm now going to use in every every uh, podcast. It's a great great word. I think I I think I. Oh, a debt of gratitude to Stephen Wilkinson for having introduced that that word to me. But you know, or crony capitalism, if you prefer. But it doesn't get much better than basically creating a more or less fictional company with fictional profits, and then walking away from the wreckage with a billion dollars. I mean, it doesn't get more disgusting than that. Well, no, I think the best the best deal was selling the name for eleven eleven million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, who would want that? Um, but they managed to do that. Um, no, it's it's we're. The only problem with the, the whole, you know, uh, collapse of these dot coms is that these days, with interest rates so low, it really takes a lot of effort to to go down, and you always find somebody who'll rescue you, etc. So that's it's it, it's not quite as fun as it used to be. So we we should just explain what this is what we were talking about at the top of the show because people might not know about the bet. So do you want to just explain that, Zach? That presupposes that we ever make sense about anything. <laughs> well, that's true. That is. Well, uh, it's actually a long time ago. This, this is the 29th of June. I actually looked it up. Oh, really? Uh, All right. It was a long time. It was a big, you know, and it's one of those things, actually, with uh, within, I think it's a, this is a, a lesson for us all, that you tend to have your best judgment 
ahead of time, well ahead of time. In mm. fact, the longer the longer the view, the better, and the more the nearer you get to a certain event, or you know, the, the close. It's just like when you invest. If you trade you're trading for a sort of a six month view or a, a one year view or ten year view, you get it right. But if you trade for like a three day view or, or a day trade, obviously you get it wrong. And I think this is one of those things where it's a subconscious mind works rather than a conscious mind. And you know, your you know, whatever side of the brain is the is the is the cooler side, and that's how it works. But then, as you get nearer to the time, you think, oh, is it really? Is it really going? You know, is there really going to be a Brexit on the thirty first? I mean, they've minted the coins. They've uh, they've yeah. you know they've got the poster, the hundred million pound poster out. There's a there's a fat late there's a fat lady tuning up off stage. So basically, the bet was that you you said it wouldn't happen, Zach, and Tim said it would happen, and we had a bit of a sort of discussion about what would be the prize, and all of us collectively misremembered what the actual prize was because I thought it was a tenner, you thought Zach said it was fifty, and Tim thought it was a meal and in a restaurant actually of of your choosing, but you know basically a German Doner Kebab place. No, I, I'm, I, no, no, firstly, other Doner Kebab franchises, I'm sure, are available. available. But, I was merely but, citing that one as but, an example. But, can but, actually, can but. You, can you actually sit there or not? Um, I think you can eat in, yes. I mean, obviously, I get I get mine through a, through a service that I now call Deliver Booze. So that the most dangerous the most dangerous manifestation of the of the digital economy for me now is that Deliveroo uh, has has done a, a, a very nifty Amazon. So Amazon, for anyone that can remember, uh, all these I immediately feel like granddad now. You remember when Amazon just used to sell books? Um, but they used to sell books, and then of course they, they morphed into everything. Yeah. Well, in the same way, delivery started with with food, but now. You can basically you can do your shopping there, but it's it's not the cheapest place to do your shopping. But crucially, uh, they deliver alcohol. Mm. So, so any further down the Sin uh, Sin Avenue on that, uh, will be any other types of deliveries that people. Well, there was a, there was a cool girl called Carla that arrived last night. Someone <laughs> else had ordered her, but it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I had to actually go back. So I do remember um, there, Zach. You didn't really want to be. Um, pressed on on the bet but we managed to get it to 50 quid that they wouldn't it we wouldn't leave yeah and, and trust me you can you can get through a lot of kebab for 50 quid exactly, I mean, you, exactly. you will be literally rolling in kebab so and what about the drink is it, is it what, what will you drink though is it fanta or someone oh no i mean I, I would i would diversify i mean i'm, I'm not a I'm, I'm not a you know a, i'm happy to, to, to roll out the barrel um so we can have a separate deliver booze order from well, Jeroboam wine in Hampstead, or well, that's um, very, that's very, yeah, that's very upmarket. But I suppose so, two, or, or there's or, or there's um, a, any number of places. The, the the one thing that saddens me is uh, is part of the sort of the death of retail story is that I came across the best name for a, a wine a wine retailer near Hoban a few years ago called Planet of the Grapes. You can't you can't beat that, can you? You that's can't beat awesome. that, and sadly, I think it's gone now, or it's moved, oh, moved, no. moved down the road. But either way, it's like because you, you expect awful puns from hairdressers. That's kind of like comes to the territory, but you don't expect it from off licenses and yeah. wine yeah, but that shops. That was worth and... eleven million dollars, wasn't it? Oh, easily, easily. Who cares about we work. I mean, that's a, just horrible. It's a horrible concept, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, that's uh, no, yeah. I, I was, but it was just the journey of that. You know, 29th of June to the 27th of October. And you know, because it, it was so, it was trivial, but it was important. I just couldn't, I couldn't. Uh, obviously, every every day on the news, you know, day in day out, it was like it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Die in the ditch, everything you you name it. Mm. I was I was living through that, 
and what? just I'm waiting and just waiting for your smug chuckle of <laughs> <laughs> like what were you just like you got the other you got Trump right you got Brexit right but you got this one wrong it, now we got our ass handed to us obvious it was they told you they were going to do it you know it was it was like a train crash with the train driver being Prince Andrew it was that bad <laughs> well yes not quite sure that's in his skill set, but probably he's actually better than that. Than well, I think I think I think any of us could crash a train. I think that that's fairly easy to pull off. I would imagine. I All right, okay. All right. Um, so I mean, so the the other thing that I was obviously the, the next thing which I I've tied myself to, which I really don't want to. Uh, again, is is the result of the election. Yes. Um, so let, let, let's. Hear but it, but Zach. just just well, just before we get yeah. Zach, just before we get to that, let's roll over. Um, let's double down on the, the Brexit bet. Do you now think that we'll be out by the end of January? Well, no, no, because now it's it's now I'm going it, to it's because that's of course that's of course conditional on the general election result. No, because uh, if you're a if you're a, um, a staunch, well, I wouldn't say I don't I don't actually care anymore. But if if, if I was a staunch Brexiteer, I would say that the deal that's on offer is not. Is not what uh, sorry. Parliament. Isn't, sorry, uh, you just can't we, we missed the last bit. It sounded like you were swatting a fly with your microphone. Yes, uh, uh, the 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 deal that's on the table. The, there's no, there's no Brexit on the table. Mm. So the deal that, that, that if there was a deal struck on, you know, if we if we leave on the 31st of January, it would only be a, a an extended remain. Yeah. With the only with the only bit that the, the with the missing bits uh, done by the government, like freedom of movement, the government will handle that. And all the other stuff, but it's it's not it's not a Brexit. So it's you know as Nigel Farage told us, it's not a Brexit. So, so, so okay, had, so let's go back, yeah. back. Let's go back to the election then. Yeah, yeah. So so that's that. So we I basically the the thirty first of October thing really was it's never going to happen, mm. and I think we're really in the it's never going to happen uh, uh, sort of thing. So even if even if you know one day whatever that date may be, because um, obviously it was supposed to be March thirty first, wasn't it before? Um, it's it's now it's now sealed as not uh, as never happening. So uh, uh, you know that's the end of that particular one. I think that the more interesting thing now really is uh, the election and just what the the difference is between the, you know the whole media the, the media going for the twelve point lead for Boris and also you know and, and just whether that will will be another repeat of the May situation or worse. So how do you what what do you think will happen then, Zach? Seeing as you're getting all of this right. Well, no, no. Well, this this one. I mean, if I get this right, it will, you know, we'd probably have to buy the uh, the German Donner kebab place. So that would be <laughs> that would be that would be your punishment. Uh, you know, that would be the other side of the bet. Um, but uh, I, my 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 initial call was a Labour minority government in whatever way. So it's really a hung parliament, but a Labour mm. you know Labour minority government. I don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, obviously, Boris is leading by 12 points, um, but I, I just got that kind of thing that you know in my mind. I just, I just uh, Boris's Brexit strategy. You know, Boris saying we're going to deliver Brexit uh, is supposed to be something that all the, you know, the, the the northern Brexiteers will all vote for him because of that, and he's supposed to be loved and adored by them. I'm not quite sure about that, um, but that's what I'm going for. So um, if I'm wrong this time, you know, I don't think you know, it, it, I don't think. I don't think it's it's such a big deal as the the the, the big October the thirty first thing was, but uh, Labour minority government is, is is what I'm going for. So it's them with the Lib Dems and you know Scottish Nationalists and Uncle Tom Cobley and all, yeah, that kind of thing. So uh, I'm not sure uh, I can I get my head around that. 
what the the idea the, of it. I mean, what the what, Labour and what the Conservatives would just be nowhere. Uh, well, just you know, Labour minority government. I mean, you know, yeah. a bit like the 1974. I think it was the 1974 situation uh, with the, the the first one, February 74, something like that. Um, I think you know the, the, what's what's working against my call is is obviously Corbyn because uh, his whole being and his whole activity is designed to make sure that you would, nobody in their right mind would vote would vote for him. Um, you know, the tax on second homes and all the other stuff and all. You know, I mean, just everything you name it. And taxing everybody left, right, and centre, getting rid of billionaires. Um, but uh, I, it's I suppose it's just a, it's a continuation of the populist thing that people will say, well, you know, we try to get Brexit, and you, you know, you didn't, you know, we couldn't do that. Well, let's just bring in Corbyn just to to get at the establishment. And I, you know, I'm a have not. I would actually vote Labour just to make sure, you know, just to, to bugger up all the rich people. Really, that seems to be. I mean, that's a pretty good reason for voting. I think. And it doesn't really matter what your what happens to you. You know, it doesn't all mean in this case. Um, I would do it. I would just, you know, I'd press the button and say, I mean... Not you personally. Obviously. You'd say that's how you think people will vote. I No, no I, I'm a have-not. I would, I would vote Corbyn just to make... Just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not impressed by the way that, you know, over the last 10 years, people have done nothing on, in the, you know, made money out of the asset bubble in, 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 that, in their homes... Um, you've got all the fat cats. You've got you've got the banks, RBS, and you know the, uh, Lloyd's. I find I found that absolutely. And I'm a pure capitalist. Uh, hated all that. All those smug people around the place. Um, so you know, it's uh, citizen citizen Zach and Bayswater um, putting his foot down really. Um, so I think that if I'm that wound up about it, I think a lot of other people will. Uh, I think people have underestimated the, the the soft Tories going for the Lib Dems, even though that woman again is. Uh, uh, Joe Swinson is, is just uh, dire, um, but I think we're still in the protest populist uh, vote type pattern. And even if it's not Corbyn, I don't think that this election is going to sort anything out. That's the thing. We'll just have more of this agony uh, going on. Um, so that that's really the that's the call. But yeah, Labour minority government or something of that order is what I'm looking for. Let's let's shut you up, isn't it? Can we, can we, when we, when we put this out, uh, Paul, can we play the death march immediately <laughs> yeah. after? Yeah. I'll, I'll no, it but it's not, no, but it's not, no, but it's not going to be the, de- it's not going to be death either, because just as, you know, we couldn't have a Brexit, as soon as they, if they got into power, they wouldn't be able to do any of this either. You know, you've got the civil service and everything else, the establishment, they, they, they just block everything. It wouldn't happen. It's just, this is just uh, grandstanding on a big, you know, on a, uh, on a large basis, you know, so, um, but I do, I don't think that, uh, you know, we'll deliver Brexit is a is a vote winner because at least half the people don't want it, and probably another quarter of the people are fed up with it, uh, and and I don't think that's a winning. I, I think that's a, a losing uh, uh, a losing platform. Yeah, I think Boris should have fudged it like you know like Corbyn's fudged. It seems it seems to me though that saying we'll get Brexit done will have an appeal to most of seventeen point four million people, all of whom are voted. I, I don't, I mean, well, that's just probably, you know, where I, I'm, you know, I read it differently. I don't think, yeah, that, yeah but I don't think that the way the, the voting, because of the way that the electoral, electoral system is, I don't think that will actually help. You know, it won't help in London, obviously. It won't help in any of the, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of areas where it just, that that's a negative. I heard, I think, I think it was, I think it was um, Douglas Carswell and Dominic Frisby podcast that I was listening to of theirs, just a few weeks ago, I think this is where this factoid 
crept out, but and if not, uh, apologies. It, but either way, the factoid came out that um, fifty percent of the electorate are now floating voters. Yeah. Yeah, and that, however, however that however that term's defined. Yeah, and so that's why the election is it's just throwing you know throwing everything up in the air and seeing where mm. they land. I mean, that's that's the election we've got. So um, you that that you know my scenario. Um, you know, I think that could happen. Uh, could be, you know, it could be the same. You know, like conservative minority government, but I, I just don't, I don't agree that it's a twelve percent. You know, that Boris is twelve percent ahead. He's twelve percent ahead in, 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 for the people who've already de- who've decided or say. Yeah. That. And uh, I don't think that, that. I think more people will still admit to being a conservative voter than they would a Labour voter. Mm. Having said that, I mean, one thing I've now now experienced personally. At an anecdotal level, I was in a, a cab uh, last night, and uh, and again, people are going to say, "Cab, what's that, Granddad?" But anyway, um, I was in a cab last night, and the driver said, although he'd been a lifelong Labour voter, he would probably find it impossible to vote for Labour this time around. And you, you, I, I, if you, I mean, it may just be the kind of Twitter echo chamber effect that I'm only reading kind of the stuff that I want to read and hearing what I want to hear, but it strikes me that. You know the difference between 2017 and 2019 is that there was a there was a real bump in popularity for Corbyn back then, particularly amongst the young. Whereas people, I think, including lifelong Labour voters, are now so unimpressed, and I, I think unimpressed is the mildest possible way of describing it. So unimpressed, primarily with Corbyn, but less, but 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 also with the, the complete lack of any people of calibre in the entire Labour shadow cabinet that they'll vote anyone but Labour now. Yeah. It just, but it almost seems deliberate. It almost seems to be that you know we. Have- it's like they've gone out of their way to be a parody of a political party. Yes, yeah, so, but we no, but we we effectively have an, a one-party state. We've had that. We had that with you know Kinnock and Thatcher. Uh, we had the brief, uh, you know, Tory Tony Blair. Uh, but otherwise, we we just basically have unelectable. We we have a one-party state. We have a, mm. a centrist, uh, um, you know, centrist like conservative centrist type, but well, conservative in the old sense, the one nation one, you know, the old type. Um, uh, you know, it's basically a Lib Dem. It's basically liberal, you know, Lib Dem, centrist type of conservative one-party state. And that doesn't really change. And that's why there's such a, such a, um, a link between that and the EU. Obviously, you know, Ted Heath, Ted Heath and, and the EU as we know it, I mean, they, they, they would fit together perfectly. That's what, you know, One Nation Tory is, you know, one, it's a multi-nation Europe. That's, that's what it is. And so, but I, I find it amazing. It's almost deliberate if somebody's engineered it that we have, we've had a one-party state for so you know for for an extended period. We still have it. You, the the, the and, and all the efforts are made by Labour to to say things and do things and come up with policies which you know really nobody could vote for. Just amazing. One thing I was really um, in, uh, shocked, impressed uh, by my colleague Killian came out with this uh, fact. A couple of days ago, he was telling me he's reading. He's been reading some political biographies from the 19th century, and in relation to that, he came up with something in relation to the French Revolution. So, which it was 1789, if I'm right. And so we know that it was the storming of the Bastille was uh, 14 juillet, so that's 14th of July. On when after the 14th of July 1789 did Louis and Marie Antoinette get the chop? I think 93. There was a Robespierre type situation. Very impressive. Very impressive. But I was surprised because I expected it to have, I, I would have thought it would have happened quite quickly. And the point, the point Killing was making is it's actually four years later 
But in the history books, the history books will will presumably say, I and mean, I haven't checked it on Wikipedia yet, but I would imagine the history will say French Revolution happened and they killed the king. But that the process they killed the king actually took place. It actually took four years to happen, and killing was sort of sort of making the point that if 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 we break, and I'm 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 clearly more optimistic on this front than you are, Zach. But if we do ever manage to extricate ourselves from the dying morbidity, uh, cancerous horror that is the EU, then um, however long it takes, and it's three and a half years and counting now, but the history books will say in June 2016, the British people voted to leave and then they left. But the fact that we've had this toing and froing and whataboutery and ridiculous basil faulty-ish lengths of the establishment to avoid or overturn that result doesn't matter how long it takes, the history books will say, and then it happened. So I just thought it was an interesting perspective. I think that's a, a delicious point, but you know, it's, we're, we're basically in Soviet Union territory. No empire ever uh, allows anybody to leave. Mm. It just never happens. It's, it's never, it, it doesn't happen like that. It has to be the whole thing. It's, the EU would have to, has to collapse. Well, the, 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 related, the related anecdote is one that I would credit to Dylan Grice, the, uh, the analyst Dylan Grice, who was probably made his name at SOCGEN, the Permabear team at Societe Generale. And I remember him speaking at a Money Week conference probably six or seven years ago, and he made this point. He said that you know, the, the, the Soviet Union was born in the chaos of the, the Russian Revolution in 1917, and pretty much every, every year from its establishment, um, you would have credible external foreign agencies saying, you know, this communism ideal is not going to work. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's literally a Potemkin, you know, structure. It's a house of cards. It's going to collapse. The Berlin Wall did not fall until 1989. And we're having the, you know, sort of whatever the, the, the celebrations, commemorations at the moment. That is also a kind of like killer observation that it's effectively a variation on Adam Smith's uh, observation that there's a great deal of ruin in a nation. Yeah, I mean, but the EU is is the world's first solely economic empire. Obviously, all the other ones have been a mixture of economics and and uh, military. Uh, the, you know, the US is a, is a, is still a, mi- a mixture of uh, the two. Um, and uh, you know, let's say the, the UK was you know two thirds military and a, you know a third um, economic. But that, this is the first pure uh, economic empire. But it is an empire, and empires cannot. Uh, they cannot let anybody go. I mean, that's you know, you're in, and that's it. There's no, there's, it's, uh, it's a matter of, you know, it's a matter of pride. It's a matter of vanity. So uh, that's not going to happen. And the deal, there's no, there's nobody on the table here who's going to deliver Brexit. Uh, obviously, Farage, so, Farage, who's actually, I think for me, he's, he's the person who's made angry of Bayswater even more angry because uh, uh, basically uh, he just, he just, um, he just stood down. I mean, that was the worst. That was the biggest betrayal. Uh, so my, my so my so my question first he swanned off for three years uh, as soon as the vote was 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 completed and then he's he's come back and it's and he's he's sort of stood down in half the seats or whatever he's doing that's you know that's zero out of ten I mean he's just completely I mean the people who, I mean the Brexiteers should be angry with him um, more than anybody else I mean he's so, that's complete complete betrayal Betray, we have a betrayal agreement and we have a betrayal politician so my question is if we don't if we don't leave whether or not it's at the end of Jan- notionally at the end of January 2020, uh, what, it, why would we not see something akin to a civil war in this country? Because I, I don't think these 
You know, and it's maybe not all 17.4 million, but I think a sizable, and I'd certainly count myself among them, 17.4 million people are going to be spitting blood within the next two months. Yeah, but they should already be spitting. I don't want to vote for Boris because he, uh, he has not delivered and he has, you know, he has not delivered on Brexit. But, to, but in, in, in his... Def- I now know he never will. So why, should, his, I vote, why, should, I, why should I vote for him? In his defence, because he was stitched up by his own parliament. You know, you can't blame Boris for what his own party largely uh, colluded to to do. It's like because because I mean, half of these people were Lib Dem, were sort of Lib Dems in in Tory Tory clothing. Yes, which is uh, which is yes, that, that's what they are. Um, but that, that, yeah, that's not going to change with this election. We'll have the same people in 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 Parliament again, where they magically find these people, these uh, remainers uh, all over the place. Uh, uh, that it'll be the same people in Parliament. And it'll be the set, it'll be another delay and, and the same result. But there's no, there's nobody there now with Farage gone. Uh, there's nobody there to deliver Brexit. So Brexit's out. So the only way of protesting in any way is actually to vote Labour. Just say I want to just I want to I just I want to you know completely you've got to break everything up in order to build it up again. But that's like 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 sh- shooting yourself in the mouth to spite your face. Yes, but but that, that's at the moment that's the only, that is the only option if you really want to be radical. Uh, because you're not going to get Brexit, and you're 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 not going to get Brexit at all. I mean, I I don't think Brexit's as much an issue, obviously, as you know b- people's well-being and welfare and everything else. So I think that's an exaggeration in terms of what it is, what the, the importance of the issue is. That at the end of the day, people don't care that much about uh, you know the, the the money sent to Europe or you know the, the 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 most of the issues. I mean, if they cared about anything, they cared about immigration, which is supposed to be neutralised now, although it won't be. Um, but it's it, it, the, the, the real thing is whether people care about being lied to or they care about democracy, which, again, they may not either. I don't, but I don't think that Boris is going to find it easy to bribe people um, uh, in this election. I don't, think, I don't think it's going to work. You know, even he backtracked on the corporation tax even before the election. I mean, it's unbelievable. What is Labour's stance on Brexit? Because I'm not sure it's clear, is it? No, but there's a second referendum. Right, because yeah. they're they're thinking that by that you know they'll uh, the second round of referendum they they assume that it'll be it'll be remain because everybody's just so tired and they can't stand it anymore just like make it go away so that's that's their policy which they can't you know which they yeah, they can't even say that but that second round referendum is what they would do um, but it, it's not going to happen because there's no we won't have a parliament to facilitate a a, a proper Brexit and we don't have you know the Tories are not going to do it obviously Labour aren't going to do it uh, so there's nobody there to do it. Would you would you agree with my contention then that if if we can't manage to escape from the EU, then that makes investing in the UK, particularly in the context of say the equity market, problematic because we no longer have a functioning democracy and the rule of law doesn't really work that well now. I think we're a long. Way, I mean, to go back to that French Revolution thing, I think there's going to be a lot more of this, and we're probably only in 1790 or 1791, mm. and uh, I think that even if if it's not the Corbyn minority government this time, I think we've got, we, it, there's got to be that sort of the revolution would be Labour coming in. Mm. That's our equivalent of uh, the, 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 the storming of the Bastille, the, the storming of the Bastille. And I think that if it's not this time, it will be at, at a certain time, the, 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 the election after that, because th- there is no way of getting out of this. Uh, we're in we're in this situation now. There's no way of getting out of it. We're the, the the will of the, the democracy is out 
Um, all the other, so many other things are out. Freedom of speech is out. Um, this podcast, notwithstanding, mm. uh, you can't say anything, um, and you you've got no voice. And uh, that's why my strategy, my, my advice is to vote Labour and have Labour just clear the clear the decks. They they you, they they come in, uh, the pound collapses, chaos, everything else, and then finally you'll get a, a proper government after that. Which will actually do what the people want, and a, a system that actually, uh, you know, so you'll you'll have, you know, you'll. I think you'll have to have some kind of major political reorganisation, but that would come through Labour getting voted in because the people just get so fed. To what to what extent do you nurse concerns about the health or lack thereof of the eurozone banking system? Uh, but the, the 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 thing that saved the eurozone is zero percent interest rates. Which mean, and which means they can just print money. There's no inflation, so they can just print money uh, ad nauseum. And so that's, you know, if Deutsche Bank is still there and Royal Bank of Scotland is still there, then obviously there's not a problem, is there? It's, you mm. know, the, that's the Japanese thing, which you're obviously you're very familiar with. They've yeah. had 30 years of that, uh, this QE, um, you know, zero interest rate, whatever, I don't know what you call it even. Um, this in- That can go, that can go, they're looking for a crash because of, because of um, uh, this sort of uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland economics that we have at the moment is not going to happen because it hasn't even happened in Japan. But to, to be fair, I mean, t- using the, the Japanese exceptionalism argument, the Japanese have also suffered two nuclear attacks. Nobody else in the world has done that. And, you know, again, using that, that example, you know, the Japanese have, have recently survived a nuclear catastrophe and a tsunami um, that's killed tens of thousands of people. Um, how much rioting and looting do you remember following the Fukushima disaster? Uh, I don't remember seeing any. Um, but I think you could, the, the, the issue is you can survive anything if you've got zero interest rates. The last one I'd, I'd cite would be, according to the data that I've seen, the, the cumulative loss of wealth in Japan comprising um, equity values and land values since their market, the stock market peaked in '89, is equivalent to them experiencing not one but two Great Depressions, a la U.S. In other words, this country, that Japan, in this case, Japan is the most stoic country in the world. I'm, I'm merely suggesting that just because the Japanese have tolerated it does not mean that w- that we or the Europeans will tolerate it. Yeah, but they, you know, we've had Greece going down. We've had you know all the Italian debt, you know, or the Italians are obviously in great shape. I, I mean, I, it's it's one of those things, though, that the only way that there would be a change, clearing the decks, change, you know, the, the thing that probably we're both we, we all, you know, we we both want. We both want to clean the Orgean stables. Yeah, exactly, and that's labour. Yeah. But obviously, they do it by they do it inadvertently. But, but labour would be the way of doing it. It's not going to happen through the Tory thing. And all you're doing is building up the pressure cooker until. The day of reckoning comes, whether it's in 2022, 2025, or whatever it is. I do. I think we're we're now in a in a certain trajectory with that divide, with the division between remain and uh, and uh, and and leave, and division between have and have not, which is which is I think horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is horrific, I think now, which uh, um, that, which is obviously what Labour are playing on, um, and it's a clever thing to play on. You know, out, out, outside of the immediate hinterland of the German kebab place, I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of people who, are, you know, who are allegedly suffering. It's like that uh, pretty Patel uh, interview when she was saying, uh, um, you know, the, somebody said 14 million people are living in poverty, and, and she was saying that's nothing to do with the government. You know, it's 
but 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 also but also the definitions of poverty leave a lot to be desired because my understanding is that poverty is defined as something on along the lines of the number of or the percentage of people living below you know whatever x percent of the median um wage in other words no matter how wealthy the uk gets there will always be poor people because there'll always be people who have less money than other people it's completely absurd well it is absurd i mean the poverty these days is you know you can only afford an iphone se i mean that's exactly exactly and you can't you can't you have to go on ryanair that's 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 poverty i mean that's like you know you only have one holiday a year and they say they talk about child poverty as if you know we return to the dickensian era and sort of little urchins up uh chimneys but i didn't have any money when i was a child i had pocket money uh, what is all this child poverty? Where's that come from? Or are now children that don't have jobs are being rated against you know the average you know, the average wage of thirty k or whatever it is? Yeah, no, no, that's uh, that is a bit of a I think that is a bit of a myth. I mean, that's uh, but I mean, you know, but again, I haven't done the research. So I you know I haven't gone to the places and and done all that. And obviously, depend you know if you're in the in the in the uh, echo chamber of London, you you know you wouldn't you wouldn't know. Um, but uh, as I said, I just think that. Uh, there, there is a pressure cooker situation now, um, and I, I don't see how it can actually be resolved, you know, painlessly. It's a bit like there's a pressure cooker situation now with with the, with the monarchy. I mean, that there's mm. the, the clock is now ticking, isn't it? I mean, there, there's there's no way that this can be finessed. You know, the Andrew thing can be finessed, and with all the other issues of the whole concept of class and privilege and everything else uh, in the 21st century, it's that's a tough thing to defend. So I'm, I'm, I'm minded. I'm minded to cite the Lily Tomlin quote that I use in in my book, which is uh, things are going to get a lot worse before they get worse. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's. I mean you you do have you do have to get it slightly into perspective because I was I've been watching The Crown. So you know, I was glued to the the last the last series, uh, the the third series, and you see that you know there were a lot of near misses, um, you know, in terms of the late '60s with you know the Wilson government and and things like that. Um, you know, the, obviously, in the 1970s, 1970s was was the closest uh, to to you know this country having a you know military takeover or a coup or a, I mean it was pretty heavy, um, and that's why presumably that was the reason for going into the European Economic Community. Um, but um, to, to, to to sort of take out take out that spray, but now that that has actually worked against this country, and uh, as I said, the clock is ticking. I don't. I don't like Olivia Coleman as the Queen. Just that's my two pennies worth. I, I thought. If you uh, don't like her, you don't like the Queen, because I would presume that she was actually quite like. She is actually quite like the Queen. Oh, Claire uh, Foy was just like bang on. I mean, yeah, no, but, no, but, yeah, no, but she was. Yeah, but she was. A, you know, she was a very attractive person, an attractive character. Oh no, it's um, just all the mannerisms, all the little sort of you know the the kind of inward strength that she held and. You know that just the looks and the and the, the 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 vulnerability, yet the strength she she portrayed was just amazing. But Olivia Coleman for me is just just very flat. I sometimes think yeah, but she's... yeah, but it could be yeah, but it could be. Well, I I think the Queen is quite flat. I mean, in in the series, uh, you know, the, the, the Olivia herself was saying, you know, I'm a I can't show feelings. I didn't cry. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I think that's probably closer to the Queen, the actual character of the Queen. Mm. Um, and also probably at that by that time in her reign, being queen and queening around uh, took its toll. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I think I, w- I would reckon 
they researched, you know, they researched her very, very carefully. I mean, a lot of the other the other characters, Mountbatten and uh, Wilson and the other people like that, you can see that they, they, you know, they were, obviously I've never met any of them, but uh, they, they, you can see they were very closely observed. Yeah, uh, it, it, and and new things came out about them, partly maybe fictitious, but new things came out that uh, were very, very detailed. So I would I would suggest that uh, you know Olivia is much more uh, Coleman is much more like the Queen, mm. and uh, mm. maybe, maybe that's you know that's something to take on board. I mean, given the situation now, you know she supported Andrew's car crash speech. Um, you know, there's all these 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 things, and well, you know, even print- allowing it without, I mean, that was just crazy. I don't. I think they're in a desperate situation. I think. I think it's actually. I mean, it's actually the antithesis of the Diana one. Diana one was uh, uh, obviously trying to destroy the monarchy, and Andrew was trying to save it. And um, you know, both both hit hit home. And you really think it's downhill from from here? For in, in counterproductive. I don't think there's any. There's, there's no good look, and also that the Americans are going to go all over him. Yes, with, you know, I agree like with that. Rash. He's going to, you know, he's going to be like, you know, he might be extradited. And it's absolutely, I, I don't see any way out of this now because it's been, it's, uh, I mean, the, the clue is in Randy Andy, but, you know, that's not, you know, it's not funny anymore, is it? Um, so I, I don't see that the, the monarchy is now looking at, you know, you're now looking at just basically uh, the, the direct heirs um, and just going, really almost all of them going out of public life, you know, really, really going, you know, very, very sparingly indeed. And, and then, um, what's the point of them? Basically, I mean, you might ask that already. Yeah, well, no, but that's the thing that now the mirror. Now there's a mirror placed against them. It's, I, I, it's, it's not. I think it's not coincidental that everything's happened at the same time. I mean, we've got we've got everything now. We've got Parliament. We've got uh, we've got the uh, uh, the monarchy. Uh, we've got the financial system. I mean, you know, the it's the the the, tri- the trifecta. It's 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 a bit like a kind of um, sort of. Big Brother 2020 could be like, you know, pro-celebrity death um, nomination. So you have, let's say, so who, who's going to be first on the chopping block? Is it going to be a member of the royal family or a member of the government or, you know, insert, you know, celebrity? And then you can get to execute them on television. Uh, it's, it's, it's turned into a sort of, a, it's turned into a board game. I mean, it really is. It's got everything, you know, it's a community chest and chance and, you know, you land on this, you know, and I mean, you've got, it. it it's... Uh, but it, it's actually everything that I've seen in in, in the Crown happening in one in one episode. Mm. Um, the only thing we don't have is the military issue. But if you know we had that, then that would be the full that would be the full Monty. You know. Oh, are you talking about are you talking about a coup or just no, no military that you know there was a Falklands type. Ah, uh, okay. That's the only thing missing. Um, but um, the 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 only thing holding it together is. This, uh, I suppose, the financial system being so strong, allegedly, because mm. of you know the the liquidity in it and everything else. Um, but but you know you you even have you know with the, the Thomas Cooks going down and all these big names going down. Probably Waitrose, you know, the Waitrose thing is going to you know you, you got these. It's an it's like an end of era. But, you know, it's it's, it's a you know I, fat fat fan fan de siècle. Yes, it's that exactly. Yes, your French is far better than mine. <laughs> it's a very interesting point you're making here because perhaps the markets going down is what will create the political change, but maybe the political change will create the markets going down that will then create the politi- more political change. Well, that's change. that's that's Sorosian reflexivity, isn't it? 
you know, you've got the impeachment hearings. I mean, you've got literally you've got everything. You've got Nixon in there. You've got, you know, you've got literally, you've got Diana. You've got all the different things. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's brilliant, really. I suppose you could have an Iran, some kind of Iran situation, uh, you know, like a, a Middle East war or something like that. Um, which reminds me of Aramco. I, I, I'm so upset about that. How could that possibly have failed? And how do you see? How do you actually see the UK stock market and sterling trading around the election? Because what the result's going to be on a Friday the 13th, which doesn't bode well, does it? Uh, I would just say that, um, given that, you know, if you agree with the um, everything up in the air, and just we have to see where it lands. Then where you know that you would be selling sterling on you know on the evening just as polls close mm. or just before polls close. And, and I know this is almost impossible to predict, especially this far ahead, without knowing how the polls are going to be looking just before. But what what would be your sort of finger in the air, thinking how the markets will react like straight afterwards, and then maybe sort of a week or two down the line, if if you have a view. The, the finger in the air is that we'll see the pound rally uh, from now until uh, election night. And then that would be the time to go short. And what about the stock market? The same sort of thing. It'd be the same thing, because obviously the market thinks um, that uh, it's going to be an easy Boris win. And uh, therefore, we you know, we buy the pound, buy, you know, buy the FTSE and everything else. And if it is an easy one, let's say the pound might rally a bit. But you've got all the you still you haven't put all those other things to bed like Brexit, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so the, 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 sh the trade is to go short, I think, on 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 the night because and sell that. Hopefully there'll be a rally towards that towards that. So we're at, say, 135 on on cable. We're at 77 or 7800 on the FTSE and uh, it goes down from there. Yeah. So I'm just just to remind everyone that's a, not a, that's not investment advice. That's just like a finger in the air. So you know. whatever it doesn't. Yeah. But if you're if you're making a call on the pound or the or or the FTSE, I mean, it's not really. You know, it's only from sort of saying you know I'd be you know shorting this stock or shorting yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But <laughs> just 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 so yeah. But I just want to make it clear that that's not like yeah. you're not saying go out and do it. That's just like what you think will happen. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, no. It worked well on. It worked well with. Um, uh, with the uh, Brexit night and also the Trump, uh, the Trump uh, election as well, um, that you you're basically on. You know, you you, you had nothing to lose. If, if if Hillary came in, then it would be like the same. And if 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 she didn't come in, it, it would tank. And I think in this situation, I mean, just imagine. You know, Sterling's at one thirty five. Corbyn uh, has the most seats. Um, the next move would be one twenty. I mean, you'd make you'd make so much money. You wouldn't know what to do with yourself. But if you were wrong. It might go to one thirty seven, one thirty eight, and then come back. Just to just to put just to put Brexit to bed for this for this specific uh, podcast. I was in the Waterstones, Hampstead yesterday, and I uh, on impulse purchase, I, I bought the Lady Bird, the story of Brexit, which is oh, as really? funny as funny as a number of the other Lady Bird sort of adaptations of various things have been. It's it's got a as you might expect, it's got a very Remainer slant, but there 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 are jokes at the expense of both sides. But the, the particular thing that I thought was amusing was they had uh, the following. She said uh, they had a woman who's a, a, a Remainer, and uh, she says she spent the morning after the referendum trying to cheer herself up by watching a film from the good old days. She chose the film Threads, 
Now, I don't know if you've seen Threads, but it's basically a BBC account of a nuclear attack on Britain from the 1980s. And it's, <laughs> and it's, it's basically about as awful uh, an entertainment as you, as you could imagine. Um, be, I mean, bear, bear in mind this, this was like a, a viable outcome at the time. In the, Cold, the Cold War was you know, threatened at any point to kick off into a hot war. I was talking about this with a, a client during the week, and we, I was citing something. I don't know if you guys remember a thing called Whoops Apocalypse, which was on ITV no. at the time. Did you did you watch that, Zach? I, I, I've heard of it, but uh... but it was very funny. It was just a, you know Cold War satire, and I, I liked it. And I bought the spin-off, you know, the cash in Christmas annual, a uh, little sort of uh, pamphlet thing that they they flogged on the back of it, and. That the best, well, there were two things that I thought were particularly funny. One was the sort of a, they did a map of, you know, what happens when a, whatever it is, a five megaton bomb, you know, is dropped on the centre of London. And then they had all the sort of blast, sort of radiating blast zones, you know, coming out like sort of, you know, things from a circle. And you've got people in the Orkneys um, being clubbed to death by falling bits of St. Paul's Cathedral. And, and that, that, that I thought was quite funny, but clearly it was kind of. I've got quite a dark sense of humour. And the other one, which is you know comparably dark, was they had a, a two a two page special of sort of compare and contrast the U.S. military might the U.S. military sophistication with Russian military sophistication. So they had a like a sort of diagram of a whatever it was a Pershing missile or a uh, a cruise missile, and you know all the sort of whiz bang technology behind it. And then they had a picture of a, an SS twenty uh, rocket. And they had a, a Russian general saying, uh, it used to take us uh, 200 peasants to make the nose cone of an SS-20, but we've since discovered that titanium is more hard-wearing. That's very, very naughty. <laughs> <laughs> kind of... and, and, and I will finish off on this absurd, absurd, you know, sort of handbrake turn diatribe with... Uh, what what I think still is is the best best joke I've heard a politician speak, which is Reagan talking about again life under Soviet Russia. So this quote I think is from around 1984, 1985, before the before the wall came down. And he says there's a you know there's a joke going around. A guy a Russian guy goes to the goes to the car showroom and says I'd like to buy a car please. And the guy behind the counter says that'll be uh, twenty thousand rubles or whatever it is. And he puts the money down. And he says um, okay that'll be ten years. You can come back in ten years time. And the buyer goes, um, morning or afternoon? And the guy goes, well, you know, what do you mean morning or afternoon? It's 10 years' time. And the, the car buyer goes, well, I've got the plumber coming in the morning. <laughs> and we could yet go back to that under Comrade Corbyn. So I'm quite looking forward to Zach's, Zach's outcome of a sort of Labour minority government. You bringing, can't be. You can't br- bringing be. catastrophe to, you know, to, to Britain. It wouldn't, it wouldn't last long. Any. It would just be a few months and that's it. They'd be out. Don't worry about it. It's perfectly okay. It's just a a quick, a quick purge for everything UK, including the stock market and and the currency. You'll be be able to buy a house in Belgravia for like, you know. Briefly, briefly. But you won't have the money to buy it, though. That would be the problem. Yeah, but under Corbyn, after after a while, we're thinking in old paradigms because after a Corbyn government, you know, I'm I'm stockpiling leaves. I reckon with 200 leaves, I I could put a down payment on a house in Belgravia. Or maybe twigs. Maybe we'll be using twigs, uh, stones. They used to use tally sticks, didn't they? <laughs> they'll build. They'll build council houses there. So actually, um, it won't. It won't happen. So they'll just knock everything down and uh, uh, and do that. And Buckingham Palace will be a council house anyway. By then, so that's all right. <laughs> well, it's been. It's been. It's been. It's been occupied by foreigners since it was built. So you know, it's quite, no, it's perfect. I think. I think I'm really getting into this Corbyn. 
Corbynista type thing. Parents house, all these places, uh, Balmoral, beautiful boarding school. What what chances do you give um, Zach's? I don't want to. I don't want to create another bet. But what what chances do <laughs> do you give this, Tim? What's your What's your take? Uh, on well, it? my my own my own perspective for what it's worth because I, I I've only made two political bets in my life. The first was in '92, where and this was a learning experience in itself. So I just started work uh, working for a Japanese bank, and it was the John Major, I guess, was the was the sort of candidate uh, standing against Neil Kinnock, and that was I think. I think it was the sun went with, you know, well, if, if Kinnock wins, will the last person out of the country please turn off the light? Yes, yes. And there was a, there was a, I remember this very, very vividly. There was a feeling that the polling that just was wrong and that it didn't reflect the, the strength of sort of Tory support. Anyhow, the cry went up in the dealing room. Tim, we're going long Tory seats. Do you want to come in? Uh, and I said, yeah, put me down for a fiver. Now, what I didn't realise, it was a spread bet. And whereas I thought I was making a discreet, I was back. making a discreet five pound bet. It was actually five pounds per seat. I wasn't earning that much at the time, so the idea of potentially losing several hundred pounds if it went against me was was quite sort of bowel shatteringly, uh, you know, yucky. So anyway, so I, suffice to say, I stayed up all night for that one until it was until until my my, my money was safe, uh, in sort of put it in uh, bully terms. But I was very lucky. But I got lucky then. But but I, I I completely obliterated and more so the goodwill from that in 2017 because I you know it felt to me that again that the polling was understating Tory demand. So I had my bottom handed to me. So I'm not going to be betting this time around. Hundred seat majority. Yeah, the famous hundred seat majority. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I think somebody's already spotted that one. That, and know. I think I think the issue I think I think the thing from both of these experiences is you know it, it is not wise. To, to bet well firstly it's not wise for me to bet on political bets at all but also it is not wise to bet when you have no remote you know uh, edge no, nothing to bring in terms of analysis you've With, got no you've got no you, there's just no no edge to the you know, to the to the investment unless speculation. you can stop out yes experience but no i it's, i think it was it was it was seven to seven to one for the, the uh, labor minority which i thought was great and then is that what uh, you got in, in, no no well, you, I, 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 I thought no, I thought that. I, well, I thought um, I'll just see how it goes because I might get a better price. And then it became at the end of the weekend. Uh, this is the weekend before last. It became five to one. Mm. So uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I, I, I don't know what it is now. It'd be quite interesting to know what it is now. But uh, now that the the wonderful manifesto's out. But uh, um, no, it, I, I think it's it's really that you know everything up in the air. See how it lands. And uh, I think one should be prepared for any scenario. And I think preparation is really the the key here not that i'm not quite sure how you prepare for a corbyn government um send your money abroad before you know before december the uh... leaf leaf hoarding is how i'm going to be doing it leaf leaves stick sticks twigs stones they'll all be taxed though as soon as you know you try and use them yeah but i, I live close to Hampstead Heath, so I, I i can kind of like corner the market in the in the arboreal <laughs> alternative money Remember, you also you can use it to like you can also modern modern money tree theory. Ha ha, boom boom, Tarby, da tush, here all day. <laughs> so yes, you asked you asked you asked uh, my so my my take for what it's worth with that the great preamble is I, I I think the most likely outcome is is that Boris Boris nicks it with a tiny tiny uh, majority because I firstly I. I th- it seems to me that although Boris overplayed this hand at the first leader debate, which was just a, atrociously awful, but every, you know, 
all hands, it, you know, went down with all hands, you know, so to speak. But the he overplayed his hand in terms of belaboring the point about this being the Brexit uh, election. But the reality is, it is. It is for me, and I think it is for most people. So you know, break, Brexit is the single defi- d- defining issue. Who governs Britain? And the country says, "Well, not you, mate." Yeah. One. Yeah, that's that's what he's doing. But but, but ne- nevertheless, I, I I just think that so if, if if you define it simply in those terms, then you know you're talking about a Conservative Party that most people would would describe as being the party of Brexit, versus the Labour Party, which is which is run by someone I would just describe as extremely unsound on every level, um, and you know uh, a known consorter with terrorists. Um, but that, that 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 represents Remain and the Lib Dems, who I think personally should all be deported as anti-democrats and enemies of the people, enemies of the country, but who also uh, represent Remain. So you've got one clearly defined um, uh, party versus uh, the Remain constituency being basically um, split at least two ways, and you know you've got the Scott Nats and everybody else. So for me, it's it it is. It actually makes sense for Boris to labour the point about we will deliver Brexit, even though it's getting really, really tiresome to hear. Um, three bad choices. Three bad choices. But, but, the, like any of them. but, but, but that's life. I mean, life is ultimately about being pragmatic. Life's about making the best of a bad job. Life is about, you know, is about learning to dance in the rain. The Tory you know, voters are going to believe, believe it that he's going to deliver Brexit so they won't vote for him like uh, Nicholas Soames and those sorts of people. And, but they're not standing. They're not standing. They, you know, they, they've they've been put the the real Europhiles have been purged from the party. So I believe Boris when he says basically everyone in the you know in the parliamentary party has signed up to my Brexit. So if you vote Conservative and Conservatives get a majority, we will get out by the end of January. Even if it's, I accept it's in purely notional terms. There's so much. Want, a lot of Tories don't want that. Well, they think they should piss off to the Lib Dems then, shouldn't they? Because they're not you know they're not getting with the program. They will. That's the problem. They will. So it's just uh, they're, they're, they'll either waste their vote in the Lib Dem, or and, you know, because obviously not many are going to, um, are, you know, uh, uh, crazed enough like me to say that you know, to try and vote Labour. And so you have a sort of the Tories split by the, the, you know, by the Lib Dem Tories, let's say. And so it, it, it which wasn't the choice two years ago. Uh, that wasn't uh, you know Theresa May didn't have, you know there wasn't that choice with Theresa May. Uh, and so, you know, it really is, I think, uh, up for grabs. I mean, it, it's going to be very, very, and I don't think the polls have any chance, any chance of uh, calling mm. it. A- Paul, Paul, what's, what's your take on this? I've got no idea, quite honestly. Um, I, I just think that you made a very good point about if you stand for a party, um, you shouldn't be able to switch. Or, you know, if, if you, there should be some time limit by which if you've stood, um, you know, is a member of parliament for a certain party, you can't just switch to another party. That should not be allowed. People have elected Churchill you. did it. Well, I don't care. I mean, as much as I love him, I just still... I, but he's not... You know, people are, are using this, um, you know, to, to subvert democracy, in my view. And I, I just think if, if you have voted in as a Conservative and then you decide you want to go to the Lib Dems, fine, go in four years. There should be, you know, a big delay before you can do that. And and, uh, and or you have an immediate by-election and you're forced to stand either as an independent or as the, the new party. But you, you, it, it, well, as you know, as an independent, full stop. So, yeah, you know, yeah, that's the, fair the, enough. Because yeah. it, just, it just comes across as people who've just been surfing, surfing the zeitgeist on a personal look at me crusade. Um, and it's, you know, basically the 
I mean, I, I, I'm not a political person. I've never stood for politics and never will. But I can imagine that a lot of people uh, are in there, are, are elected on the back of you know grassroots local support by by you know parliament, but by by parties, by political party workers, and you get elected to a you know let's say an average constituency. A lot, you know, a lot of that work was done by people of, of that party. And I, I guess in many senses, yes. in many cases, they're going to be volunteers. But money will have been spent. And then if you then jump jump ship, you've basically just conned everybody involved in that in that process. But, yeah, but we're becoming like that. We're becoming like that anyway, because we, nobody likes to, I mean, apart from like you have a vote, nobody accepts the vote. People, like they lose a game of football and they don't accept the result. I mean, it's, they change gender and they want to change back again. I mean, we're, mm. we're, we're so, we've lost our, our compass so badly um, that this sort of uh, flitting from party to party in parliament is, is, is nothing. Do you think do you think that we would be experiencing these so clearly this this well I say clearly maybe it's not as clear cut as that we are where we are because presumably of the 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 result of the referendum and then the, the subsequent behavior of everybody involved uh in the referendum do you think we would be culturally philosophically socially at the same place if the referendum had never taken place Surely we couldn't be. We're actually in that kind That's of uh, where where we've gone into that mindset now. Of, uh, it's a bit like you know the kids play at school and you know the losing team gets a prize as well. I mean <laughs> we, we we've got that thing everywhere. It just it's actually coming into the uh, into the uh, the system. And to what to what do you to what do you attribute that? I mean when we had uh, I'm trying to think who who it was uh, Sean I th- I think it was Sean I think it was Sean Corrigan that first cited it and it's Gramsci's. What, what Gramsci described as the long march through the institutions. So, in other words, you, you point your finger basically at the the the, the educational system. It, yeah, it is that that you know everybody's everybody's equal. Nobody's a winner. Nobody's a loser. Uh, everybody wants to be a celebrity. Nobody wants to be ordinary. Uh, you know, it's that it's that kind of thing. There's that just it's but it's literally the winning and losing thing is gone. Mm. Well, the only way to change that is, and I think we've said it before, but everything will change when the markets change you know you, you those types of of ideals only work when the markets are moving up you know the the eurozone project only works when the markets are moving up when everything starts to move down you you see people change their their attitude to everything and that will be one of them you know because as we know real life isn't isn't you can't have yeah, a winner it's a and snowflake a it's the snowflake mentality which has become the predominant culture it will you change know, like, it like will you're have ag- to change. You're, you're big... now, people are in, people are in agony now there's no wi-fi i mean you know there's no um wi-fi is it wi-fi is a core human right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah but a big, bear like... mar- a big bear market will change all of that it will just change it it will change attitudes that you that won't get a voice i mean it just it's it can only you can only have that in a society that is that is has um has got so advanced and such advanced technology that's so cheap and so accessible that then it becomes this oh yeah of course yeah why haven't why haven't I got wi-fi why you know why does there have to be a loser and, and all that sort sort of stuff and uh, you said it very well Zach you 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 made the point but my my point is it just has to, it will change don't think that this is the the status quo that will be forever. It will just it will change. It will change in a bear market. That that's it. Attitudes will change across politics and individuals and everywhere. Um, and with regard to the election, the best way I can describe it for me is it feels like a position that, that I mean, in terms of Labour getting in, 
um, or even having a minority government. It just feels like a position that you've got on and you're seeing the stop loss get very close to being hit and you've just got this intuition that it's going to be hit and you've just but you still you just don't want it to happen that's how it feels like that it feels like for me i would very much love the conservatives to win whether it's with a big or yeah, small the status quo is, is 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 untenable that's the problem you know conservative winning is just We'll, we'll continue with this. It's a bit like uh, people have the horror of Trump getting re-elected. Yeah, it, the, the I was going to ask quo, you about that. The status quo is, you know, I mean, that's why they're doing all the impeachment stuff so they can try and get try and get rid of him. And it looks, but but it, you know, he's going to he's going to win it by a mile. Mm. You know, and he's just in all the Remainer. I mean, you have the Remainer thing here and the anti-Trumps there. And uh, you know, they'll just go, the, the liberal elite will just go mad. I mean, they'll just it's uh, so. I, it, it really, but I don't think this is sustainable. Having a situation where somebody he was elected, and they hate Trump more than they hate Putin, or they hate the the, the Chinese dictator, or Xi, or whatever his name is. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's just you know, dictators are are have, are more popular than elected people. This is madness. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, literally, you know, Trump, nobody said. I mean, Trump was elected fair and square. I mean, is anybody? Have you ever heard a bad word about Putin? No. Strong, you know, nothing. Obviously, it doesn't let you say anything nasty about him either. But you know, that's the that's the beauty of where we are. Well, you wouldn't go for it. You wouldn't go for a nice. You wouldn't. You wouldn't go for a nice cup of tea with him, would you? Polonium tea. But the the uh, but the, you know, the guy in Turkey is. We've got still all, got all these dictators around the place. But the people we don't like are the democratic d- democratically elected ones. I mean, wow. So there's a mindset problem here. I mean, you know, uh, that's why we're in the problem. We, that's why we're in the state we are. How could you reform politics, Zach? Like, if you could just get rid of all of this, everything that we've got, and just start again, how would it work? You'd have it as a jury system, basically. Well, in other words, you'd, you'd be elected uh, uh, arbitrarily and be forced to conduct that activity yourself if you if your name came up. Yes, I'd become... I'd become uh... Well, you, lo- you laugh, but, I mean, that doesn't strike me, that strike me as, as, as that silly as a... Uh, as a concept, I mean, uh, there's all these different. I don't know if any if any country's ever tried it's a brilliant that. Brilliant idea. But I but, mean, but it would be interesting to, interesting to see because the thing is because because uh, otherwise you have the problem that the people that you want to see will never stand, and the people that do stand are a bunch of cunts. <laughs> to, to, to 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 put it frankly. Yes. Yeah, so so the problem is that the systems we have now can all be done by. Uh, old boy network and all the other you know school the schools you go to i mean i agree with the getting rid of the public schools i think it's fantastic because that's the only way of stopping the society being you know it's i think also we have as we haven't had a world war we've got we've got the the ruling class the elites much more deeply embedded than you know but generations after generations getting richer and richer as well so that's another unfortunate uh casualty of uh peacetime but i'm all for getting rid of the uh the, um, the the public school system, the Oxbridge system. I mean, all these other things because they they all create create that uh, um, you know that uh, the, the disparity and actually the problems we have. Isn't the isn't the issue really? How do we get government out of out of so many with out of with its fingers in so many pies? Just getting it out of the system. How do we get government out of education? How do we get government out of healthcare? How do we get government out of all these things where? I mean, government is not the answer. Government is always the problem rather than the solution. There's, there's a great line that I used recently from Milton Friedman, which is, you know, if the federal government was in charge of the Sahara Desert, within five years, there'd be a shortage of sand. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... Uh... Isn't, isn't, but, but seriously, isn't that the issue? That, that you know, and, and that touches on everything because you've got, 
you know, what I think we would all all consider as crony capitalism, which has been in, in situ now for at least the last 10 years. You've got, you know, so people, you know, there's so many almost religious views about things like the NHS, but the reality is our, our healthcare system is no better than, than any average. It's certainly not the envy of the world, but we don't have to have it provided by government. Can you name one thing government does better than the private sector? Uh, spend money, spend money, spend other people's money. Yeah, it, normally with these things, you have a, a, a first class, uh, a second class service at a first class cost. That is yeah. what the government is. And that's what the NHS is. That's what everything that the government does is always second rate, but you're paying top dollar. Uh, and you know the NHS really has. To, I mean, I'm, I'm changing everything. Yeah, luckily I'm nowhere near the levers of power. But the NHS for me has to go. There's so many things that need to change, and it's not on a snowflake basis, just on an efficiency basis, mm. and also the, the type of situation that we we we're in now. Uh, you know, you can't have a situation where you know democracy is not uh, um, abided by. Uh, there's no freedom of speech. There's you know the the, the media is no. I mean. The, the, the journalism now, I mean, it's nothing to do with what it was in, you know, even 30 years ago. Mm. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just literally, um, I can't even read the Telegraph anymore. It's awful. It's just awful. You should, you should go to Specsavers, Zach. You know, that'll, that'll help you out. Well, I, 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 I might do that. <laughs> it's just uh, absolutely, uh, I'm not going to renew my subscription. It's that bad. Actually, actually, that's a very fair point in the context of quality of media. The one thing, and I may have may have done this before, but the the one... Uh, publication I would single out as as being superbly head and shoulders of the rest of the field would be The Spectator. I don't know if you read The Spectator. The Spectator is excellent. I've actually written for The Spectator. In yeah. Obviously, yeah. But, but I mean, I think The Spectator is, but you know, uh, things like uh, The Spectator is literally on its own. Yeah. On its own. But I just, the, the, the problem with the, all these partisan pe- people is that not only partisan, but they're wrong. They just get mm. it wrong every time. Whatever they say, all the political analysis, financial analysis, it's all wrong. It's unbelievable. I, it's, it would def- it beggars belief how you can get things so wrong so often. Just stuff. I'd rather hear, I'd rather hear um, you tongue-in-cheek saying something wrong, but not, it, it's, you're not the telegraph. You're not yeah. purporting to be somebody, you know, but I'm not, pay- I'm not paying for that. And, I'm, and you know, with the, with the, you know, with the uh, Brexit exit, that uh, didn't happen. I mean, I didn't read anywhere that it wasn't going to happen. The the one I would single out would be the well, in addition to you know the the, the usual suspects you already mentioned and the BBC would be the the Financial Times and I was in, enormously uh, uh, enthusiastic to to hear that Lionel Barber's finally quit as the editor because as far as I'm concerned he's really dragged that down to the level of a sort of gutter journalism. It's just all yeah, and then the commentary and everything else. Um, I don't want to mention the guy who is always in the, the beginning of the color supplement, but I mean, he's just I mean, uh, him having a voice, the smugness, and so, so is, is that Simon Cooper or is that? Um... It could be. It could. It could. It could possibly be him, but they're all the same. I mean, just, yeah. just I mean, it's it's but that they take it that they take it for granted that you see things their way. I mean, it's just oh. unbelievable. I mean, uh, uh, there was uh, there was somebody who, um, uh, no, I mean. Any of the journalists that we were brought up with, who are now like you know seventy or eighty, mm. uh, who used to report for the BBC, they were they were d- totally different. I mean, Martin Bell, or I mean, you know, trying to remember all the names, but I mean, just yeah. any even the newsreaders, they were just fantastic. They never put their own. You never knew they were like the Queen. They were like the Queen is supposed to be. You never knew what they thought. Yeah, that is just it's admirable, especially you know I mean especially in those days it was even more admirable I think. And 
just absolutely amazing. Just uh, uh, that that whole that whole profession is gone. Um, I don't know what they are now. They're like bloggers or something. I'm not, I can't mm. even work out what they do. You know what? Yeah. I mean, that, I, that's how things have changed. I mean, that's how the internet has. I, I, that's how I, I see the future of journalism. Really, it's going to be. You're not going to have papers anymore. You're just going to have. No, in, I just read. I, I just read. I, I just read Twitter. I mean, I get everything mm. that I you know I need from Twitter. Um, I mean, there was this guy. Uh, uh, the only thing I read in the Telegraph is the obituary. There's a guy called uh, Richard uh, Lindley who died, uh, I think, last week or this week. Uh, TV reporter, you know, Panorama and all this sort of stuff like that. Um, it's just, I mean, these are gods compared to the people who are writing now. To be, I mean, I, I, I'm quite, in a sense, quite enthused because although I, I hate, I really resent the way that the mainstream media has gone. You know, happily, the the World Wide Web and the internet has has provided a completely different alternative, and 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 literally millions of them. So, the, 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 I mean, partly, you know, the fact that we're doing this podcast now is a is a, a sign of of what's achievable, and you know, the, the amount of choice that's now available to people who want to be maybe hopefully a little bit discerning. It's it's great for me. It's uh, having having studied English. It's a, it may be akin to what it must have been like in London during this sort of kind of like golden age of pamphleteering. You know, when people, you know, we finally had a printing press and it was possible to put out opinions and share them and distribute them really widely. And everyone really went for it. And in the huge, huge amount of ideas. And you must think there must be massive productivity under that, under that sort of system and a huge public discourse. And the web makes that possible today through blogs, through podcasts, through Twitter. So... The issue is that it's the same one relates to dealing with financial markets now. As some very wise person said a little while back, 20 or 30 years ago, you needed a huge funnel to do the job of investing well. Now you need a huge filter because there's so much choice of data, specifically data, but data, opinion, news, whatever you want to call it, commentary. And now that you have to fend it off with a baseball bat. Yeah, but yeah, but even even thirty years ago, there was this program I think on Channel Four after dark or something like that, where you had you know it started at, at uh, eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock at night. It was round like round like a drinks table, wasn't it? That I mean, this this should be on Channel. Why is this podcast? Why are we sitting around a table? You know, but you would never get that now. It would it would be horror. It would be horror to the the concept would be horror to the mainstream media that people just what are they going to talk about? Where's the yeah. script? Yeah, no. it would not. It would not happen. Whereas before, you had Oliver Reed talking to the Archbishop of Canterbury, and you know, like, oh, what do you think? You know, like, it was. It's not. It's not very difficult to do, but it's all so controlled now. I mean, this really is. It's it makes the Soviets look quite modest. But I think people forget uh, how much of all the stuff you see on Twitter used to actually be in the mainstream. Mm. You used to have proper debates and discussions and stuff like that. Um, and with people, and you did, you didn't know what the answer was going to be. Who is who is your your best uh, who is your best Twitter provider when it comes to humour, Zach? Do you, do 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 you follow any of the uh, do you follow any of the sort of the um, the more sort of satirically inclined on on? on no, Twitter? I actually, you, I promise you, it's actually just you. That's very sorry. <laughs> that's very kind. Very kind, or possibly tragic. <laughs> lazy. I'm <laughs> too lazy. Tragic. <laughs> One because I know you, uh, sort of, sort of know you, but two because uh, you are a, con- you know, you are because I can uh, track, you know, if you're thinking something, then I, I just triangulate via you to see what, you know, what I should be thinking or not be thinking, or yeah, you know, so, like a market. And, I understand that, yeah. And you, you do all the dirty work, so you know, basically, you know, you're, you know, you're more enthusiastic about it. I'm a bit jaded, 
And so uh, literally, that's it. So I mean, you're it, a filter, it, actually, Tim. Then yeah, I've become a I've become a some a meta filter meme merchant. Oh, I'm going a bit bojo now. I'm floundering, <laughs> floundering, facetiously floundering in a philandering sort of a way fashion. Yeah. So so that's <laughs> it. That's it. I mean, I because I'm normally looking at the, uh, the the small cap stocks and stuff like that. So not uh, uh, not not uh, what you're. Uh, you know, not that area because it's you know it's a it's a whole different area. But uh, um, uh, you know, it's the Telegraph, which is obviously awful, and then you know, and then what you're saying. But I don't. I just literally look at the headlines on Telegraph. But I can't read their opinions. It's a slight, it's a slight going down a slight side alley now. But it, it, I was again someone something I was talking about with, with a friend earlier. Uh, co- comedy has uh, gone down a very gone down a very that strange rabbit hole. It's now almost impossible to find. And, and this I find staggering because these, these, you know, the business of comedy must be a tricky one. It must be difficult, particularly things like stand up and improv stuff. But I'm amazed at how almost universally the the comedy circuit has just gone lefty, woke, tragically unfunny at a at a personal level. How did that happen? Because you would think if any if any uh, genre is going to be a place for sort of a broad variety and discourse, it's going to be comedians, but uh, no, so they are the, that's the litmus test. I mean, that's the barometer of freedom of speech. Mm. It is absolutely zero. It's have, zero. Have, you've got to watch this guy on. Um, actually, that's going to be my media pick. Now you've said it. It's a, a guy called Bill Burr on Netflix, and he's got the most politically incorrect stand-up routine, and it's fantastic. It's just, yeah, but shocking. Yeah, but the, no. But the thing is, the problem with that is shocking is not comedy. It's, not, it's, just, it's just not. It's not. It's not shocking. But you, can, the, you, but you can you know, can you can make a career now just clever. by treading on the PC toes. But mm. that is still not comedy. You see what I mean? So that's well, it's a bit of a one. It's a one joke approach, isn't it? It's offends me. It's no, but it's just to me. It's like the the pendulum swung too far, and it's actually, you know, like the idea that there's no losers. You know, it's pulling that apart in comedy is what you're supposed to do. And 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 his um. You know, you've just got to watch it. It's fantastic. But yeah, okay. Yeah, no, but com- yeah, but comedy used to be like you know, I see your, you know, I see Tim's, uh, uh, you know, uh, photo on on Skype. You've got this photo of a panda. Is that your latest flame, or you know, are you seeking fertility advice? I mean, it's it's it, it used to be, but you can't say that now because there be people trying to have a ch- children at the moment who are like mm. really upset by that. People who love pandas and don't like them being. Uh, insulted and you know you can't say anything yeah, if people are determined to, to take offense to then they, you, they will do yeah, so yeah they'll take offense at anything i mean you, you, but comedy to... has to be really be offensive in some mm. way otherwise it doesn't work so we, we can't do comedy anymore because we can't be offensive to anything i mean i forget the name of the guy in question well, which from is yourself just... you can only be offensive you can only be, be offensive to, you know you can only take the piss out of yourself yeah that's the limit you know i just I put on a bit of weight i'm going bald thank you very much you know that's funny and people start laughing you know I, I forget the name the name of the guy but there's some unfunny posho comedian who wrote several years ago that he was surprised when after he did you know his usual you know hour of remain nonsense unfunny remain nonsense that people in the audience started to leave the, uh, the the show early. And it's like, well, no shit, Sherlock, because you're offending probably, well, in, in, in national terms, you're offending half of the half of the electorate, albeit in your shows, you're probably offending the, you know, 5% of leavers that, that, that accidentally ended up going to your gig. But it's, I, I, it, it's so strange to see people, particularly in the comedy world, but actually in the business world as well, going out on a limb, whether it's for remain or for leave, but if it's for remain, 
because because I'm a lever, I take more obvious offence at, at that behaviour. But it, it seems to be done without any sense of the commercial side effect of of taking that stance. I mean, I'm happy to I'm happy to take a stand uh, from the perspective of leave in the context that I suspect 95% of our clients skew that way. So I'm not trying to sort of poison my own turf. Whereas you find there are these people who go out on a limb to to, to, to use all the tired old, you know, sores of, uh, you know, leavers being stupid and racist and, and all the rest. And it's like, do you have any idea how that's going to play to the half the country that might consider buying or using your product or service? That I find really staggering. But my, my, my question to you is, do you think that people who remain are more are more ardent about being remain uh, than bre- Brexiteers are about Brexit? That's a very good question. I don't know. I don't know. I think the crux of what we're looking at at the moment, in the sense that um, the reason I think that, coming back to the bloody election, the reason I think that uh, the, you know, we're the party of Brexit is going to fail is because um, the Remainers will not vote for a for a uh, for a conservative party which is which has brexit in it mm. no it's a very good question it's a very good question there was no big demonstration uh this time around uh, you know i think when it was looked like it was going to happen in october and the fools went out and had the demonstration um there was no big demonstration in you know one day it was uh, the remain crowd and all the other all the other pe- people associated with them there was no equivalent brexit crowd Brexit uh, a demonstration, but that's the thing it, that, that I would say that if if you have to march, you've already lost. And in the case that they lost anyway, and then went to march just to reinforce the the, the sense to which they're just a bunch of bad losers. So you, I would argue, I would even make it into a T-shirt: winners win, losers march. Is it, it, it's it's just this kind of like a almost like a childlike expression of powerless anger. But that, I mean, that question may be maybe one that uh, you know we'll we'll be talking about you know the next time that it just became apparent that the, the, the Brexit the Brexit crowd are less ardent, are less um, you know on their uh, sticky on their vote than the Remainers are. Yes, you, you, I think that's a very fair point. You could argue that the the leave or sort of continuity leave did itself no favours because. Like me, we all naively thought, oh, well, we've won. That's it. Whereas Remain never stopped. The Ramonas never stopped. They just kept going. It was like, um, you know, it's just a, you know, just but a scratch as another another limb gets lopped off. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's, again, that's that's just a point that I haven't seen all these uh, wonderful, in these all these articles about the subject. Um, and as I said, it might be something that comes through. I mean, I think it's that's one of the reasons that I don't think uh, Brexit will happen either, because I think a lot of people just say, well, actually, it's too much of a pain. Just forget it. You know, that that kind of attitude, which uh, I think we're, we're already near that point. Just not worth it. It's not worth the bother. Just like just forget it. Man. I, I happen which, to have a which tw- was which was the, which was the remain strategy as well. It would just grind you down until it's just like forget, make it go away. I happen to have a, the tw- a Twitter feed live in front of me as we speak, and the question is: When did Europeans first realise the EU was a bad idea? Answer: Nineteen thirty-nine. <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of thing you can only get in that, in that kind of forum, I think. <laughs> Zach, just before we wrap up, I just want to ask you a quick question about the American markets. What do you think about them, and how do you? Th- what's the the kind of outlook going into next year? I mean, hopefully we'll have you on sort of early next year anyway, but 
Um, what, what's your take on the new highs? Uh, the take on the, the new highs is, is, I think, it's the same take as I've said many times before. If you're looking at an intraday chart of the Dow or anything, any other equity market, uh, the any dip is bought into much faster than the, the than it, the, you know, goes down, it comes up twice as fast. It's a cork in water. It's a cork in water market. There is nothing there at the moment uh, that that uh, ch- changes anything. It's that solid, just that solid. So um, I met it. I met I met, met an old client of mine from twenty years ago. He said, oh, "I'm short of you know, short of the Dow. Uh, I think this is the peak." And I knew because he he always used to do that. That he's doing that twenty years later. It's going to go. It's going to keep going up. So. Um, you know the, the the whole the whole system is is designed so that you've got an asset bubble uh, in, in stocks and uh, I mean the only hope I the, the, the hope is that I have is that there'll be something that there hasn't been a bull market in the UK for uh, uh, twenty years properly um, that something that that you know we're overdue something on that front hopefully that you know maybe with the de- relative decline of the housing market more money will come back into the stock market. So you so think the election, there'll be a bit of a dip, and then if the American markets are going up into next year, they've got to be... I can't see an environment where the the UK markets... Well, I suppose it could go down, but it'd be unlikely. Does uh, does Trump get re-elected, Zach? Of course he gets re-elected. If he's still alive, he gets re-elected. Yeah. But will, will, he not, will, he, will he not be alive because he's died or because, uh, because of, uh, let's say, call it enemy action? Uh, only left-wing uh, presidents get shot. Oh, okay. And Zach called him in when it, nobody believed it, which is quite amazing. Zach, you, you, you called seen... you called you called Donald Trump. That's he a, did. What did he What did he say? I called it. I called. <laughs> yeah. He said. He says. Thank you. <laughs> that was in May, that was in May two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. That was at a that was at a Brexit debate, and I, you know, they they couldn't find anybody else, so they got me because uh, you know that it was still quite a hot. You know, you don't really want to show yourself as a Brexiteer in a public forum, do you, really? Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just, I ran out of things to say about Brexit. So I said, well, actually, by the way, Trump's going to come back, come in as well. And the, the room went silent. Um, so um, it was a bit, it was a bit like saying, you know, Hitler's going to come in. You know, it was that type of uh, lonely place. But anyway, he came in and uh, the rest is history. So, Zach, have you seen the Michael Moore documentary? I wouldn't watch him. It's too lefty for me. Oh, it's very good. It's very, very good. It's yeah, so, it's uh, worth, worth a watch for sure. No, I mean also, I mean they, I think his, they failed to get George W. Bush was, you know, if you're going to dislike anybody on the right, right of the spectrum, he was the man to dislike. I mean, you know, and the fact that he managed to get reelected and everything else after the charts and everything and all that sort of stuff, um, just unbelievable, really. Um, so um, Trump is easy compared to, uh, to to George W. Bush and you know other people. Uh, he's very electable, very you know Midwest friendly. He's, he's, in, he's in he's in easily. I think he might be in by more than he was the last time. Especially as the, the Democrats don't even have a count. I don't think they've got anybody as a front runner yet, do they? It's a good question, actually. I'm not sure they have. Exactly. So uh, so uh, really, you know, there should have been a front runner, in, you know, in the frame by now, and there's there's nobody at all. I mean, they're completely uh, completely out of it. So. I think Michelle Obama should have stood really. Yeah, that's uh... that. She would. I think she would have won it on the on the sort of the woke ticket. But uh, um, as she did, then uh, I think that's the end of that. You know, the, the Trump's in again. I wonder what odds you get on Michelle Obama being president. That'd be uh, 
No, I think she. I think she seemed to be sensible, and you know, I think she would have done a good. I think she would have done a good job, you know, and it would have been. You know, but um, whether you know, dem- obviously, you know, d- totally Democrat, but I think she would have done a good job. But I'm probably better than Barack, actually. But, uh, that's another story. So, what do you think, Tim? Media picks? Yes, go for it. Yeah. So, Zach, you know, you may have forgotten the drill, but you should. Well, you obviously listen to the podcast all the time, so <laughs> so you will know that we want a media pick from you. And I've given you mine, which is Bill Burr, Paper Tiger on Netflix, which is uh, politically incorrect comedy, but very, very poignant, very, very accurate and funny. Um, but Tim, what have you got? Um, mine's going to sound a little bit incestuous, but I'm going to recommend um, a book that's just come out by someone who recently had on the podcast, uh, Daylight Robbery by Dominic Frisby, How Tax Shaped Our Past and Will Change Our Future. This book is something that evolved out of originally, it was a, a comedy routine of, of Dominic's, um, which is very funny. And I appreciate that most people will run a mile rather than read anything to do with tax, but but try and get over that bias because it's just a cracking read. Um so what one one observation, and I think it's perhaps one of the biggest the, the, the biggest you can make about the morality of, of finance, the morality of money. So just consider that if the First World War had been prosecuted, p- paid for using using real money, in other words, if everyone had stayed on the gold standard, the First World War would have been o- would genuinely have been over by Christmas 1914. And the reason it went on for four years is because people either borrowed or taxed to, to keep the thing going. But under a sound money system, um, it would have been over in a matter of months. So if, and bear in mind what the impact of the First World War was not least, the fact that we then had a Second World War after the disastrous Versailles um, Treaty, clearly there were huge, I mean, just monumental implications from all of that, that the entire history of the 20th century would have been different if, if people had stayed for sound money. And also if tax hadn't been so easily deployed. Just before the war, um, just before the First World War, government spending was something around 10% of uh, national income or GDP. It's now nearly 50%. In, in France, I think it's nearer 60%. There are implications to all of this stuff, but the, the main one being from, from Dominic's book, and uh, it's very rich in, in history. Uh, so if anyone's interested in history, they'll be interested in this. Um, that, what was I going to say? That... Uh, tax is something that can only realistically be introduced during periods of wartime because governments find it impossible to introduce stringent new taxes during peacetime. So there's tax is a, is a big deal and it's a big topic. It is going to be a big topic after December the, the 12th. Uh, but it's a cracking read. I got through it in two or three days and I didn't spend all day reading it. So I just had to dip into it. But it's very, very readable. Dominic is an excellent writer. Uh, and if you're looking for a slightly quirky Christmas gift, either for yourself or for somebody else, Daylight Robbery, it's all about tax. And let's talk about tax, baby. Excellent. Thanks, Tim. That's superb. And uh, I've got my copy, by the way, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. Have, have you started it? Have you started I haven't it started it yet. I haven't started it, um, but I will do. And uh, yeah, as I say, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so, Zach, what have you got for us? No, I'm just going to reiterate my, um, my crown, the crown thing. Yeah. This thing is so topical. So topical. Uh, I obviously watch it with the subtitles because I can't always understand what they're saying. But uh, um, that is my, you know, I'm just gripped by that. I so. do love the crown. The crown is excellent. Tim, you've not started on that yet. Have no, you? I haven't even, haven't even started. I haven't it, even started on the crown yet. It is excellent. It really is fantastic. I, I can only, I can only really hold one drama uh, sort of series together at the moment at one time 
uh, at any one time. So I'm I'm still with Ozark at the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that was brilliant. Is there, is there a new series? Uh, not I yet. Know. No, so I think Tim's just started on the first first series. Yeah, I'm, I'm halfway yeah. through the first series. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just, and the second series is just as good, if not better, actually. So, and it's red. But I, I realise I may, I may be a secret um, Jason Bateman completist, so I'm gonna have to see everything he's done now because <laughs> some of the comedies have been a bit hit and miss. But this is, this is absolutely superb. It is. It superb. is a bit cool. It is a bit it cool. Is, it is superb. Fantastic, Zach. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And you know, Zach, we'll... Zach, when are we going to meet for our kebab? Yeah, well, we'll have to discuss. I don't, I don't know. Is Check with your diary. I don't, I'm okay, not quite okay. sure. We, we want to avoid the Christmas uh, rush. Obviously. The Christmas kebab rush. Yes. I mean, there is an urgent. There is an urgency to this, though, because clearly, at some point, that the the consumption of meat is going to be illegal, and it will pro- that that course will probably be accelerated in the event of a Corbyn victory. So, uh, I I'm trying to eat as much red meat as I humanly can before it before it's no longer possible. <laughs> I don't know how you can even say that. Actually, in a public, in a, again, in a public forum, it was just unbelievable. I mean, just the thing of those poor, poor animals. Zach, amazing, great to have you on, and uh, we'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, on. if Corbyn comes in, I, I want to be on on the day. I want to, you know, literally, it's got to be. You know, that is so. That's how urgent this this next one is. Yeah. Well, actually. Tim, what do you think about doing a doing a, a, it, an election? It's very result? unlikely. It's obviously very unlikely. But if Corbyn comes in, then you know there should there, there should be one of those. Mm. That's it. Otherwise, you can you can you, you can you can leave me out for a year. It doesn't matter. But, <laughs> but uh... until people forget. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Zach. All thank right. you so much. It's been a, been brilliant. Thank you. Bye. So now we move to our new slot called Ask Tim Price. So we've had some questions in. Two from Shane McAvoy. Given the amount of Japanese government debt being well over 100% and possibly over 200% of GDP, how do you feel that it's still a place that you can invest in? Well, it's a good question. To answer the question, we're certainly not investing in Japanese debt. So um, Japan is such an intriguing country in large part, and I'm sure we've covered this ground before, but it's such an intriguing country in large part because there are effectively two Japans. There's the, there's the Japanese government Japan, which is hopelessly bankrupt. And then you've got private sector Japan, so Japanese government, sorry, Japanese corporates and households. Um, Japanese Japan Inc., the private sector entity, is one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest on the planet. It's still the, the third largest economy in the world. Uh, and it's also one of the world's biggest savers. So that makes the yen a safe haven currency. So whenever you have a, a crisis in anywhere, but in particular in Asia, then the Japanese tend to bring their money home. And the yen rallies, so it is perhaps it sometimes appears slightly counterintuitive that these things should be the case, but but they are. So although I would absolutely agree that the the, the JGB market is just like a, the Japanese government bond market is a a bug in search of a windscreen. Um, by the same token, that doesn't invalidate the case for stocks and the kind of investments we're making for what it's worth in Japan tend to be in the kind of small to mid cap sector anyway through through specialist funds. And as a result, they're perhaps not, well, it, they may or may not be more vulnerable to, let's say, you know, the deterioration in the government debt outlook, but they will not be as vulnerable to, say, trade tensions, global trade tensions, the, the US-China stuff kicking off. So net-net, all I'm saying is um, the Japanese economy is big enough, big and bad enough for us to invest in particularly small mid-cap sector businesses that are at the moment hugely profitable 
uh, with some degree of uh, comfort. So I don't think it, I don't think the Japanese debt situation invalidates the equity market proposition. In short, the other part of his question was: Do you think that currencies are being surreptitiously gold backed? I, I'm not. I'm not so sure on this one. I mean, at the end of the day, who knows? Because th- this is this is at the realm of sort of sovereign wealth fund and treasury central bank type activity. So, so a lot of this will not be known to people and may never be really known uh, with any degree of certainty. Um, so at a broad brush level, I'd suggest that actually what's happening at the moment globally is 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 widespread currency devaluation. So currency wars where everyone is trying to devalue versus everybody else, and clearly not everyone can win that that one. So at least you know half half of those currencies are going to suffer, uh, and half of them are going to well, it's, it's going to be a zero sum game. Um, it's a different question if the question is is China looking potentially, well, is China perhaps um, hoarding gold? in ways that aren't necessarily apparent, with a view ultimately to uh, attempting to dethrone the, the dollar as the, the global reserve currency. That's a different question altogether. I don't trust the Chinese data. I don't trust Chinese statistics. And so whenever, and this was on Twitter recently, I think yesterday or the day before, someone posted the data about you know gold holdings by the world's largest uh, central banks. I would strongly suggest, and Alistair McLeod of Gold Money may well have a view on this, but I would strongly suggest that the Chinese uh, official gold estimates are ridiculously understating uh, China's interest in gold, for you know for all the reasons just discussed. Uh, but I, I, for me, it's it's not it's not as clean cut as saying that countries are sort of illicitly stocking up on, let's say, gold because that that's not consistent with what they're also doing to try and de- you know, to competitively depreciate. So I think it's, it's I think it's basically it's, it's not a clear cut, not a, not a, a black white answer. So we have a question from Force Majeure from YouTube. How do you see the future of the UK and EU? Some stories out there that Germany is rotating east with training Chinese army and energy deals with Russia, building factories over there to get around sanctions on Russia. Also, the UK, if Brexit gets done, would we have close ties to the US? Would you have close ties to China, the great, sorry, the east, the east, Um, etc.? Interesting question. Uh, So the first part was, was kind of related to Germany. Um, I well, I, I have a different perspective than than Zach. So Zach's pretty bearish on the prospects for getting anything approximating to a, a clean Brexit or even any kind of Brexit. I'm a little bit more upbeat than that, but I concede that it's not going to be an easy journey because the last three and a half years has been absolutely tortuous. Um, but I'm more upbeat. So I, what what my dream scenario would be that firstly we do leave at the end of January, at least in notional terms, and secondly that we are able to affect. Well, basically, we're able to effect a, a, a half-decent deal with the EU before the EU banking system completely collapses. So that's one reason why I sort of raised that topic during the, the course of the show. Um, would we end up... I mean, I think it's inevitable that we will probably end up seeking stronger ties with the US, um, in part because you know they, they have always, to me, they've always felt like um, our natural friends and allies in a way that Europe never has. We've been to war with most of Europe several times. But we've never, well, with the exception of when we first parted company, you know, we've, we've always been on the same side as the state. So for me, there's a much greater cultural and, and economic affinity there. But I, I, you know, the, the whole Brexit thing is, is kind of symptomatic of this general, more general malaise about, about you know, politics and, and, and society and culture that you know, the political class in, in particular is it's just massively lost the plot. You know, it, frankly, uh, let's boil it down to one one specific observation. Who who one question? Who create? How is wealth created? 
And I'll answer that question by saying wealth is created by entrepreneurial endeavor. It's created by genuine risk-taking by, by people with capital. What is the role of government? Well, the role of government is simply to redistribute some of that wealth, not all of it, but redistribute some of it. And what government also does is tax and spend. The idea that, that a large, an ever larger government is in any way in anyone's interest other than the people who work for the government is, I think, is palpably absurd. So I think that's really what the, the coming, for me, what the coming election is all about. One of the reasons I'm so fiercely pro-Brexit is that the EU is, is a giant symbol of basically an ever larger, you know, gigantic uh, state entity. And I believe that economies are better off when they're smaller and, you know, less, you know, less heavily taxed and less heavily regulated. So for me, this is like a completely black and white issue. If you are for a big state, you know, you're basically for Remain. If you're for small state and for entrepreneurial free markets, free enterprise culture, you're a lever. Great. Mic drop. Fantastic. Well, yeah, that's uh, very well put, Tim, as always. Thank you very much. Here all day. Okay, brilliant. Well, just as a reminder, you can always tweet Tim at Tim F. Price or you can leave a message on anchor.fm forward slash state of the markets. You could actually leave us a voice message if you'd like. We might even play it on the show, which would be superb. Just to say thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And thank you to my co-host, Tim. And thank you, Paul, as ever. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.